It really is about a 100 to 10 to 1 ratio. 100 you look at, 10 you make offers on, and 1 you end up getting. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out, go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals go check it out fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever that's f-u-n-d-t-h-a-t-f-l-i-p.com forward slash best ever you're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success you're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff and we only talk about the best real estate advice that moves your business forward. And today, well, you're listening to this on a Friday if you're listening to it when it comes out. And if you're a loyal Best Ever listener, then you know that on Fridays we do follow along Friday. But here comes a wrinkle. We are introducing, uh, I don't know, trying a new format on Follow Along Friday. Because quite frankly, I just have a hard time thinking about how to talk about myself when no one else is engaging with me. So what I've done is I have recruited my co-author of the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever book, Volume 1, Theo Hicks. And he's also a fellow podcaster. He has a podcast called Unplugged that he'll talk about a little bit. And he's going to be having a conversation with me today. And the purpose of our conversation is to talk about what I got going on in my business as well as, and this is what we always tie it back to, how this can benefit you in your entrepreneurial endeavors and real estate ventures. So with that being said, first, let's say hi to Theo. How you doing, Theo? I'm doing good, Joe, and best ever listeners. It's, it's good to talk to you guys. Yeah, we are co-authors on the book together. Theo also helps me and is going to be helping me more and more on the multifamily front and kind of more of a a long-term thing that we're working on. And Theo, tell the Best Ever listeners really quickly a little bit about your podcast. Thanks, Joe. This is called the Unplugged Podcast. And the overall goal 
is to touch on the personal development and psychological side of success. And so more along the lines of the actual individual and what's going on in their head and what allows them to be successful, as well as different traps and obstacles that people that are successful have to overcome that people that haven't necessarily made it yet or haven't done specific things in their lives that successful people have done, certain traits and, and attributes that, and again, failures and obstacles as well, that you might not potentially know. So the, the point of the podcast is to kind of analyze these successful individuals and, and kind of pick out the things that they do right, as well as, as the things that might actually be holding them back. And so that's kind of the overarching theme of the podcast. And the majority of them are, are solo podcasts, but then some of them will, will bring on guests as well. And I'm sure it's, at some point, Joe Fairless will be a, a guest on the Unplugged podcast. I would love that. And for best ever listeners, Theo is a smart cookie. I call him Thinking Theo as his nickname. He's a chemical engineer major at Ohio State University, graduated in 2000. When did you graduate? 2013? Yep, 2013. Yeah, yeah. So recently graduated and just I feel more intelligent every time I have a conversation with him. So I suspect that we'll all benefit from this format for Fridays. And again, this is we're just testing it out on Friday. So let's kick it off this week. I've got a lot going on. One of them is I actually just found out we are likely putting a property under contract in Dallas-Fort Worth that's going to be around 300 units. I, I can't talk a lot about it until we actually have it under contract, but it's going to be a, not our largest deal that we've done. We did a 320-unit deal last May, so, well, this past May, like two months ago, but this is going to be the next largest, and I'm pumped up about that, and so now for everyone who subscribed to the YouTube channel that I have, you can see the timeline that I put together for the equity side of things and how I'm approaching it. So that's been a big focus of mine. So Joe, how'd you find this 300 unit deal? I'm assuming it's not something you found on the typical MLS. How did you come about finding this deal? Before I get into that, we should have done this before, but you know what? This is the first time we've done this format. Can you tell the best ever listeners about your real estate background too? Just like 20 seconds or less. So 20 seconds or less, I bought my first duplex back in February of 2015. So about a year and a half ago. And as Joe kind of explained in the introduction and as well as those kind words, I was a chemical engineer, so I had zero experience in real estate whatsoever. And I had a buddy kind of just bring it up and say that he was doing real estate. And that and the thing that kind of hooked it for me was they said that he would get checks at the end of the month. And that was the reminder that he had a duplex. I'm just like, oh, well, I should for sure buy a property if I just get free money. And obviously, that's not exactly the case. And I went into it not knowing anything. And I actually think that's a positive because I learned a lot by doing. And I probably would have never actually jumped on board. But that's just kind of my, my personal background in, in real estate and how I got started. But right now, I've got a duplex. I actually have it under contract that I'm selling it. And the goal is to take the earnings from that and kind of get into to, to Joe's territory and purchase some sort of apartment complex or higher unit count property. And how much are you going to make on that duplex? So right now, I'm in it for about 10 to 15K. 
and the profit that I'll make when I sell it will be 63. So whatever that, that difference is, around 47,000. Got it. In a okay. year and a half. So it's not bad for your first deal. Got it. All right, cool. So there's some context because some of the best ever listeners who are multifamily people, their curiosity about might have been piqued whenever you said the MLS for commercial stuff. Because yeah, you're right. Don't find any stuff that we do on the MLS. Don't even look at the MLS. But I did get it through a broker. And ideally, we buy properties off market but that's just not the case all the time. And in fact, it has not been the case up until this point. They've all been on market deals, so a competitive bid situation. There was one deal I was working on in Northern Kentucky, a development deal that was off market, but I didn't have the experience or the right team to be able to pull it off. And I've since found out they've sold it for about the same price that we were looking at, but it was too big of a project to handle. So it was on market deal and we are going to be doing the same business model that we've done on the previous deals where we put a bridge loan on it. Then we force appreciation through putting in X amount of dollars per unit, then exit out of the bridge loan after about 24 months put long-term financing on it. During that exit out, hopefully, assuming that the projections are accurate, we return a portion of the original equity back to investors, and then they keep the same ownership, and then we we put long-term financing on it and then sell it in about five years. So that sounds like your typical plan. And, and, And so I guess another question I have, something you said before that you can't give too much details on it before you get under contract. Is that more along the lines of you don't want to let something be known before you know you have it locked down and so you don't necessarily actually have it yet so you don't want to kind of get ahead of yourself or is there some other reason as to why you kind of have to keep the details on the down low for the time being? It's a business reason and the business reason is if you don't have something under contract then anything can happen and I want to you know just for confidentiality sake, I want to get it tied up. And then once it's tied up, then I give more details on it. Okay, perfect. And I guess one more question on this, if I can. So right now, this is, I guess, one specific deal. What would you say compared to the number of, I guess, deals that come through and that you analyze and look at, how many of those actually come to fruition, you actually end up buying them versus how many kind of get pushed away at a certain point after realizing it doesn't fit into your business plan or got purchased by someone else or it's not a good deal or any other reason? What's like the, the breakdown? It really is about a 100 to 10 to 1 ratio. 100 you look at, 10 you make offers on, and 1 you end up getting. Okay. Especially when you look at on-market deals, but then even off-market because the numbers tend to be harder to gather and get real quality information because you don't have a, a third party helping you out, i.e. a broker. Mm-hmm. So we got that going on. Also, I just posted this on my personal Facebook page. And Theo, you're going to like this because it's 50% related to you. Yeah, the, I just, I, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I got an email from Amazon yesterday and it said, your book, the print version that's coming out 
July the 14th, which is Thursday of this week. So technically, I guess, yesterday, if you're listening to this on Friday, book's coming out. And the book, though, even though it's being released, the printed version on July 14th, it will be shipped out like August 23rd through September something stupid. I don't know what. And I was upset. I thought it was ridiculous. How could it take so long for the book to ship? Because I know a lot of people were wanting to get it much sooner than that. I emailed my assistant and she followed up with Amazon. Well, turns out that we exceeded the number of book sales for it than what Amazon thought we would get. We shattered Amazon's algorithm, which I'm very proud to be able to say that. I mean, it's the world's largest bookseller, and we just exceeded their expectations for the sales of the book. Now, I guess the question really is, well, how many do they expect you to sell? I don't know. I don't even know how many we sold because Amazon doesn't report it until 60 to 90 days later. The result is that we're actually getting the book much sooner than that date because Amazon's doing like bulk orders with my publisher and they're going to be able to get the book out within a very, very short amount of time once it goes live on July the 14th. So that was really cool to see. And that was actually a highlight of my morning today because that's one of the first emails I got. They definitely underestimated the marketing push that you specifically kind of headed. And I think that was something that I personally, as you kind of said before, the brain, I'm more of like the technical typing the book out and stuff, whereas you're the the huge marketing guy. And that was, I mean, people say, and I've I've read it in books before, that the sales and the marketing aspect of it is way more important than the actual product because if no one sees it, how are they going to know to buy it? Probably that's why we we shattered that, that algorithm is because... They probably weren't expecting the the marketing push that we did. So group effort for sure, because you gotta have all all the team members on board. I appreciate it though, and I'd say that the reviews for anyone, and this is totally relevant for every best ever listener who wants to be a thought leader, and that should be everyone who is actively investing. Hey, if you're passively investing, then maybe it's not your thing because you're just looking for some good returns and not to be bothered. But if you're actively investing wholesaler, fix and flipper, raising money for apartment buildings, whatever it is, then this is really beneficial because you should write a book and you should get it on Amazon because it is a large, large distribution channel. I don't know the business that will come from it because it hasn't technically launched yet, but I suspect there's going to be a big old ripple effect. Here's one thing I'll tell you though is I got uh, 100 copies before the book went out. I mailed those copies out to my investors with a personal note and also a, a card. So I signed the book, wrote a personal note, and I also had a card. I've gotten such good feedback from them. And what it does, it also reinforces me in their mind as a thought leader in the real estate investing industry. And this is a big one. It gives me a reason to stay in touch with them outside of just having another deal or the business that we're currently working on. That's a key. When you're able to stay in touch with investors, with, I mean, quite frankly, with anyone, with friends, if you just go to a friend and you're like, hey, 
I'd like to talk to you about this opportunity. I mean, it, it's, it gets worn out. Hey, I, I have this problem. My girlfriend and I are in a fight. Can you help me out? It's exhausting. So when you have an opportunity to stay in touch in thoughtful ways that people enjoy, i.e. write a book, mail them out a book, at least even if they don't read it, which you know, probably most of them don't. In fact, most people who buy books don't read the books. They just buy them and put them on a bookshelf and maybe read a chapter or two. At least it's the thought and the perception of you being a thought leader plus the good karma points that you get with them, it's priceless. And I suspect I will also bring in a new best ever community members into the podcast as a result of having the book on Amazon and uh, vice versa. Best ever listeners will likely buy the book on Amazon if you haven't already. It will just all be one big old ecosystem. But look for ways to do that because your business will benefit exponentially. I can agree with that 100%. It's very, very difficult, as you kind of said, in business or just in relationships in general, of how to stay in, in touch with people. And again, as you said, it's weird when whenever you're reaching out to someone, it's always like, hey, I need this. Hey, I need this. Uh-huh. It's also good when you are giving instead of asking. And I can't remember, I think I heard this from... Seth Godin, who said that his number one like success habit is he sends out one thank you email to someone that he knows every single day. So that's like one of the, the, the mm. things he does in his morning routine. Just send out a simple thank you email, whether it be to your parents or to a friend for just, you know, hey, thanks for the coffee the other day or thanks for talking to me when I really needed it and, and whatnot. And so that not only does that kind of kind of help you and, and let you thank that person, but from their point of view, like it keeps them in, in your mind and lets them know that you're you're caring and, and it's the intention and the thought as to you know why you're doing this, why you're we're sending these books to these people, and why you're sending out those thank you notes is what's important, not the actual thing itself. It's more of like the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And when you do that, there's just a different level of feeling associated that person has with you like they just feel differently when they see your name pop up on a text message or when they see an email come from you the more i do this the more i realize it's so not rocket science it's just the simple stuff but it's being methodical and consistent with the simple stuff and genuine with the consistent stuff that will make all the difference well, let's see. We got the book, the New Deal, and then the last thing we'll mention is this wholesale deal. I've never wholesaled a deal before. I've interviewed a whole bunch of people who have wholesaled a deal. Theo's never wholesaled a deal before. And what I've done for my team, and this will be beneficial for the best ever listeners who are looking to scale their team, is my focus will not be on wholesaling. My focus will continue to be on buying apartments with investors and sharing in the profits, period. That's my focus. But it'd be stupid of me for just to say, no, that's not my thing, if they make sense, because there's a way to add value for the person who's looking to sell, and there's a way to add value for my company and for the person who buys. We got to match it up. So I've brought on Theo to help me with the wholesale deals that get sent to me because I get unsolicited deals all the time to my uh, contact me email. And so 
It's how I structure it is he focuses on getting the real value of the deal. He focuses on putting together the marketing package, the numbers, getting the contract all set up. And then we split the deal 75-25. So the profits, whatever come from it, we split 75-25. And we haven't done one yet, but we've got one right now. It's a 36 unit that we have under contract that we're going to be assigning the contract. And uh, I mentioned this briefly on the last week's podcast, and I've had a lot of people email me already. And so Theo's working through that, and we're working on finding the right buyer for it. I think the the nice part about it too is you know this this is our first wholesale deal. We don't necessarily know what we're doing, so we're learning along the way. And I mean, I've already stumbled across a couple of things where, in regards to title, and I had a title company that I was using that I guess didn't the, the properties aren't in our current state, and I didn't realize that title companies weren't national; they're just state by state. So that was kind of the first small roadblock. But I'm sure we're gonna face more and more. But as time goes on. We're going to know more and we're going to have better systems and the process is going to be so, so much more streamlined where it's, you know, we're going to be very thankful that we decided to go down this road and start wholesaling these deals instead of denying them and deflecting them back. Agreed. And fortunately, this goes back to doing something consistently and just being insanely dogmatic about it. Fortunately, I, I know people, best ever guess, who are very, very good at wholesaling and who have that experience. So while we don't know what we're doing because we've never done it before, we know a lot of people and I know a lot of successful wholesalers who have done it before and who I can call and I have called about how to approach this and who are helping me and mainly Theo make it happen. Because again, my focus is not on this wholesaling. It's on buying apartments with investors and sharing in the profits. But boy, when you see an additional opportunity to add revenue to your business and you can scale it in a way that doesn't take much of your most precious resource, your time, and you can grow your company as well as help others along the way, I say do it. And that's what we're doing. So with that being said, we're going to wrap this up. I enjoyed having Thinking Theo on the show. Hmm. I think I'm thinking I'm gonna start calling you that when we introduce you. Thinking Theo. I like it. Yeah, it's better than many many other things I could choose to call you, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's got a good ring to it. Yeah. Well, best ever listeners. I hope you have a best ever weekend. And if you did buy the book, if you have not gotten your bonus guide since today, I guess is the day right after it went live. Send an email to info at joefairless.com. And this today, Friday, the 15th of July, will be the last day to get that bonus guide. And then after that, no more bonus guides because it was just for people who pre-ordered. But if you hear the podcast today and you've ordered it, then email info at joefairless.com and you'll get the bonus guide, which has all the best ever deals from the guests in the first 100 episodes. So tons of good case studies that you can learn from. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K 
investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.